With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character and they show it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? We've missed you. It's been a whole week. It has not been, we haven't gone a week, Ryan, without shows, uh, multiple shows since before training camp, I feel like. Got to Saturday, Sunday, and I'm like, this doesn't feel right. We got to get back in the driver's seat. Took a couple days off, and we were back in a big way today. Um, and if you guys are celebrating this weekend, I know there's no NFL football on, but whatever you got, whatever you're into, whether you're celebrating at home or away, Tops has all your fan favorites ready to enjoy for football entertaining or any occasion. Big show today. WKBW Sports Director Matt Bovey is in the house. I'm joined, as always, by Ryan Talbot. What's up, Matt? Thank you for having me, guys. I appreciate it. I'm uh, excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you. And I thought, what better way to get back at Joe Biscalia, who ditched <laughs> me for, for a little NBA viewing uh, situation last week because he wanted to get a little bit more work done on the All-22. Uh, of course. Than to steal his co-host of the Buffalo Beat, where you could find uh, Matt Beauvais and Joe B, who do an awesome job over there. During the season now, is are you guys? You guys are going full blast in the off season, right? Um, yeah, you know, we, he said let's take a little time off and let's kind of figure out exactly kind of how things play out. I think once we get closer to like free agency in the draft, and we'll start cranking out some episodes again. He'll probably get bored and start doing them on his own at some point because now that he doesn't <laughs> have any, now that he doesn't have any fresh film to watch, he's going to need something to do. So maybe he'll just start cranking out some episodes. But yeah, we're gonna keep it going. It was a lot of fun. It was. It was. I enjoy. I enjoy your podcast. I, I highly uh, recommend everybody uh, download the Buffalo Beat. Subscribe. Uh, get great content. We'll we'll get Joe B on here uh, soon enough in the off season. Uh, he's always so gracious to come on as well. What's up, Brian Talbot? Hey, not too much. Hoping for a snow day here. Uh, <laughs> kids have the pajamas on inside out, so we're we're going full bore here at the Talbot household. We're going to get into a lot of stuff uh, tonight on the show. Um, a lot of uh, coaching headlines over the last couple of days, obviously for the Bills. Uh, Brian Dable moving on. Uh, he was hired last week on Friday. We haven't talked about that yet, so we'll get into that a little bit. Uh, he takes uh, a couple coaches, it seems like, uh, so far. Bobby Johnson and Shea Tierney are, are joining him uh, in New York. Ken Dorsey promoted to uh, offensive coordinator in Buffalo. Joe Brady. 
uh, huge <laughs> headline grabbing quarterback coach hire uh, for the Bills. He joins uh, Dorsey in a one two punch now with Josh Allen heading into year five. That's going to be a little, little bit interesting. But where do you want to start us, start us off your ride? Well, I, I guess we should probably start with the, the whole Brian Flores news maybe a little bit because that also involves the Bills in terms of Brian Dable, Sean McDermott. There's a lot of layers to that, Matt. So uh, why don't you get us rolling on that topic? Very good. So, yeah, when the when the Flores lawsuit, the details came out yesterday and you started combing through it, you know, the Bill Belichick text messages, which I think everybody has seen at this point, uh, were really kind of eye-opening. It's interesting. The more you you think about that, the more you kind of wonder about just the whole circumstances around that. The first thing that jumped out about the text message to me, Matt, were at the end when he realized that he screwed up, he signed off on the text message by saying, <laughs> like, how weird was that? And then we got the thanks bill from Flores, which was just like the most depressing, like, uh, it was like Eeyore, like, thanks, Bill. Like, you could, obviously, this, obviously, this is a very serious topic, but yeah, it's crazy. I was shocked that Bill Belichick uses exclamation points in his text messages. That was yeah. one of the first things that I noticed, which was kind of quite crazy. Yeah, I, I had to say, like the way he texted uh, was maybe the second most alarming thing about those chain of text messages. The Giants with the question mark exclamation point three <laughs> times in a row. Uh, I, I was not ready or prepared for that. But, uh-huh. it, you know, a very serious topic, though, like you guys said. And what was most surprising to me about this was obviously the fact that all these guys talk within the front office, but he was that he was just so willing to kind of come out and and jump with this congratulatory news that there's people that actually believe maybe Belichick is so evil that he would do this on purpose just to kind of mess with the league a little bit. What do you guys think about that? It's crazy how this all happened. (laughs) I feel bad for Brian Flores first and foremost, but I also kind of feel bad for Belichick because I just think this was just like a little genuine mistake. And he was going to text, you know, he goes into his phone, he tries to find Brian Dable and on accident, he texts Brian Flores. I mean, clearly, Everything that happened since, you know, there's a lot of repercussions from it. But I feel like he just kind of made a little slip up. He made a mistake. And now he finds himself in the center really is the biggest piece of this massive lawsuit against the NFL. It's uh, it's crazy how this happened. I never thought that it would have, you know, the Tom Brady retirement would become just like a back burner story yesterday compared to everything that happened with the Flores lawsuit. I know that's like the one piece of this that Bill Belichick's test messages getting out probably put a smile on his face because <laughs> he got to take a little bit of the thunder from, from Tom Brady. Maybe, I don't know. Listen, the two things for me that jump out first and foremost is the courage that, that Brian Flores is showing here. This is something that it's obviously a problem. I mean, all three of us, you know, know Leslie Frazier have covered him um, over the last couple of years. We've all been advocating for the guy to get another job. I mean, he's seen up close and personal how a build from the ground up can work after, you know, going through a situation in Minnesota where I'm sure he learned lessons from how it didn't work there. And he could kind of bring all of that to a new stop and year after year, cycle after cycle, he's not getting hired. So the frustration level, even for us in the media has been, you know, on the rise here. And I think Brian Flores has just seen this too many times. There's one black coach in the NFL right now, Mike Tomlin, that's unacceptable. And for Mike, for Brian Flores to come out at this stage being a top candidate for multiple jobs, not even the Giants, taking that out, Houston, New Orleans, and say enough is enough. I'm going to – even if I have to sacrifice my coaching career, which, by the way, if he does, 
the NFL should be ashamed of itself. If I'm Houston, I got Brian Flores on the next private jet. 100%. But that's the, that's the big thing for me. The other thing, the other part of this that doesn't sit right, and I know there's been a lot of people replying to my tweet today with, well, you don't know how lawsuits work. Well, listen, even if the NFL knew about this lawsuit coming before it came, it came out uh, on Tuesday, for them to come out two hours after the fact and say that there's no merit to what Brian Flores is saying – Listen, I don't care if that's legal language. I don't care what it is. That's coming from the official NFL account. If you're Roger Goodell and you're letting that tweet come out, knowing what that kind of says to one of your you know, valued members of the coach community in your league, I have a big problem with that, Matt. Oh, million, a hundred percent. And it's like PR 101. It's the league trying to do damage control and dousting the flames when in actuality it makes the situation become that much more problematic because there is no possible way that in those two hours you could have found out any information about all of those different allegations. Maybe you could check things like one or two things and see, you know, call up the Dolphins. Did Steven Ross really offer him $100,000 to lose games? Or did the Giants really make this decision before Flores even had? But all of those allegations, it's a 58-page report. Like That takes a long time to comb through all of that stuff and try and figure out what's true you know, what isn't true, obviously, for Flores and his lawyers, all of it's true. The league is trying to figure out, you know, how much validity there is to all of that. But, yeah, it's bad. I think it's a bad look for the league because I think that in this instance, they should have waited. They should have really taken a deep dive into all of the allegations that were made and then come out with a big report and a big response. But they didn't do that. And it's almost like they're trying to just make this push away. And this is not going to just go away because these are some really damning allegations. Yeah. And and listen, the easiest thing for them to do would just come out and say, we are, we take this matter seriously and we are going to investigate the matter. Something as simple as that could have had them address the matter. And then you're right, Matt, then they could have combed through everything, done their due diligence and come out with a report of their own. Yeah. To say that the allegations had no merit is ridiculous because you don't even, you can't, you don't know that it's two hours later. You don't know that. Listen, there's a lot of really strong allegations coming from Brian Flores, but from everybody I've ever heard speak about the man, the person, to to put that kind of weight and your career on the line for allegations like these, I, I just think to say that there's no merit there, or at least not some type of basis in, in how he felt from whether it was an implication, like he's saying that there's a- actually evidence of, you know, the Stephen Ross coming to him, you know, telling him to kind of take some time off. I'll give you money for losses. There's evidence for that. He's saying that there is. If there's not, we'll have a conversation about that. But even if it's a feeling, even if he's in a situation where he doesn't feel like he could do his job because the owner wants him to lose, what are we all doing here? Like, I get, listen, I get the idea of tanking for draft picks. I I, I don't believe in it, but at least I can kind of rationalize it and understand it. But coming from ownership, Uh, And, you know, I know that there's not a very, you know, the the fan base is what it is down in Miami. Sometimes I think people in Buffalo have a little fun with it. But, you know, at the end of the day, people are paying for a product and to not be have things being on the up and up. I I just feel like it gives you a, a bad feeling no matter what level of involvement you have in the game, in the league or in the team. And isn't there something to be said, too, about when you're a newer head coach building the culture the right way there? You know, obviously, his the players wouldn't know that he would be going out there trying to tank games or anything like that had he agreed. But the, the bigger scope and picture is 
you want to be there long term. You want to build a franchise the right way. And that means having your players prepared, coached up well, and having them ready to go every Sunday. And that's what he did. He did a very good job with that roster. Uh, all things considered, the last two seasons, 10 wins two, uh, last year, nine wins this year. I know they were one in seven at one point. But when you look at some of the deficiencies they have on that roster at quarterback, offensive line, it's impressive that he was able to get so much out of them as he did. And like Matt mentioned, well, both of you guys mentioned this, but I really hope this does not cost him the rest of his career in the NFL, because I think ultimately the courage that it took to put himself out there for the greater good is unbelievable. And I honestly think teams should look at that and say, like, this is how much this guy cares about, you know, making the NFL a better, more inclusive place. And this is how much he wants to succeed. And I think that should make him that much more of an attractive candidate. And it feels like it would be a no brainer for the Houston Texans who have had to go through all of the stuff that they've had to go through. Like what a candidate he would be and not just there, but in a lot of different places. I, I just hope that it doesn't come down to that because I still think back to, you know, all of the stuff that happened with Colin Kaepernick. And I know it's a very different situation, but still like after those protests, never played in the league really again. So it's just kind of, it's crazy. And I think that he's an awesome candidate for somebody and hopefully this doesn't cost him. We've watched Tua up close uh, covering the bills and seeing how uh, in division, you know, you know, you pay attention to those teams a little bit more and to, to have the success that he's had there, no doubt about it. I mean, he, he did a good job in Miami. You know, if they would have gotten off to any bit of a, a quicker start this season, they probably uh, you know, make team. a run for a playoff spot. Exactly. Yeah. I want to transition a little bit here, though, because the the Bills piece of this in in, in this lawsuit is is pretty interesting. Uh, I think it's definitely worth discussing. First and foremost, you know, Brian Dable was the guy that got the job uh, with the Giants, and you know, Flores. One of his big issues was he's going to to New York to meet with Joe Shane, who's coming from Buffalo, knows Brian Dable, and he feels like it's kind of a sham because, you know, obviously he found out from Bill Belichick that it was already Brian Dable's job, basically. And, you know, he even was told now the other piece of this is a story that I put out uh yesterday. When he lost his job with Miami early in January, he got a text from Tim McDonald, uh, the director of player personnel with the Giants, who basically started kind of putting feelers out like, you you interested in the Giants job uh, after they got rid of Joe Judge? And he's like, yeah. And he said, all right, well, he I think he, he ended up talking with John Mara. Uh, the interest was was mutual. He had a few meetings. And at one point, Tim McDonald actually said to him something about Brian Dable. And I'll actually read the quote from uh, the lawsuit, except the, the, the excerpt. Ironically, during their January 11, 2022 text exchange, Mr. McDonald also suggested that if Mr. Flores were hired as the Giants head coach, Brian Dable might be interested in leaving Buffalo to serve as his offensive coordinator. Her Dable isn't happy with Sean McDermott in Buffalo. Might be able to get out if he doesn't get a head, head job. Thoughts? I want to get into that. But first of all, if you're Brian Flores and you find this out from Bill Belichick after getting that text message from a guy in the Giants organization that a guy is getting the job that you pitched to be your offensive coordinator, it's not crazy to understand why Flores is as upset as he is. I guess let's start there and then we'll kind of move into the, the Sean McDermott stuff. 
how could he not be mad? Like he believes in his resume. He believes that he's somebody who can turn an organization around. And clearly if these conversations are happening, there's some sort of mutual interest. And if you're thinking like, okay, I've got a shot at this. And then you find out that you really don't have a shot before you've even been given the opportunity. I mean, I can't imagine how I would feel for, you know, a job in the field that we do, let alone for an NFL hood coaching job. There's only 32 of them. They are, you know, the highest of the high level for a football coach. And he clearly believes that he would be the right guy for the fit. And he didn't even get the opportunity. And I do want to say, like, I, I, for as much as this is about Brian Flores, and it should be, I feel bad a little bit for our guy, Brian Dable, you know, because he just kind of gets thrown into the, like, he didn't do anything wrong. He just mm-hmm. gets the job. And now his name is getting tossed around like, you know, and all of these different things. And rightfully so. It's crazy. I could totally see why this was kind of the boiling point for Flores. And it feels like this is what led to the rest of the loss. Because if he gets the Giants job, we're probably not talking about any of these other allegations. And there's probably no lawsuit. That's just my read on it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you, you hit the the nail on the head there. Um, it, it's unfortunately all all around. Brian Dable's put in over twenty years in this business, and, and you're right. Right now, his name's not getting dragged, but he's getting mentioned in every sentence when you're talking about Flores and the Giants' job. This should be the most happy week, maybe the happiest week of his life, considering he's getting this head, head coaching gig, and he probably can't enjoy it as much right now based on everything that's happening. Brian Flores. You feel for him because, you know, going all the way back to early January, there were the talks uh, with different people within the Giants organization. So he had to feel pretty good about that. And Matt, like you said, at one point, Dable's pitched to him as an offensive coordinator candidate. So you have to think that, okay, they view me as a guy that can kind of come in and run the show and that Dable could be a, you know, help turn around Daniel Jones and the product. We could be a really good combination. But then once Joe Shane comes into the picture, gets that job, you know, we've, we've seen all across the NFL, a lot of the times GMs go with coaches that they're familiar with, that they've worked with either at their most recent stops or other stops. So it was no surprise when Dable ended up getting the job. It's just unfortunate everything that happened leading up to that event. And for Shane to kind of give him a little bit of credit, too, because obviously he's put in kind of an awkward situation here because I understand, like, listen, you become a first time general manager. We've seen in this league you know, you get like a year or two to kind of get things moving, especially in New York. You're going to probably go with the guy that you're most confident in to kind of get you there. And for all, you know, for all the positive things we've said about Brian Flores, there's been plenty of things that have come out in Miami where things didn't go even well in the room. I mean, last year when when Tua was struggling down the stretch and then the offseason hit and guys were coming out talking in the press about how much they didn't like Tua Tagovailoa and how they didn't they were concerned that he wasn't the future. I mean, I immediately think of Brian Flores in that spot and say, man, how do you let your guys talk like that out, you know, right after the season ended? I mean, if that happened in Buffalo, I'm pretty sure Sean McDermott would blow a gasket. (laughs) And so, like, that was in the back of my mind. And so if if you're Joe Shane, you know, trying to kind of evaluate all these different peoples and even like Leslie Frazier, you know, if you're talking about the hot, the guy on on a bigger heater right now, Leslie Frazier had the number one defense in the NFL in the regular season, but Josh Allen just finished maybe the two greatest games in NFL playoff history, and you got a quarterback in Daniel Jones that you got to figure out right now and and develop and try to figure out if you can salvage that 
where are you going to kind of go to two defensive guys in Flores or or Frazier or or Dable? The piece of this at all that I keep coming back to that I didn't like, and it's non-negotiable, is that everybody should be a candidate until the end when you make your final decision. And for Brian Flores to go to that interview feeling like that and knowing that, it just it makes your stomach sick. Could you imagine having to sit through dinner like it says in the lawsuit that he had to sit through dinner with Joe Shane on Wednesday, even though he already knew that he wasn't getting the job? Like, how awkward is that? Just as a human, like you're sitting there and you're trying to be professional. You're trying to put on a good face. But, you know, deep down, like you're not getting this job like that would just be creeping into my head the entire time. And it seems like that's kind of what happened. Like, you know, he's sitting there doing this interview, but the whole time he's like, what's it even for? You know, it's tough. And this isn't the first time that it's happened to the poor guy. In, in the lawsuit, it talks about 2019. He goes for the Broncos job and he says Elway and someone else in the Broncos organization did not show up to the meeting in, in good shape, I guess, is the best way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, and, and he pretty much knew that it was not a legitimate interview at that point. So this this coach, Brian Flores, a very good head coach, has gone through this twice already in his career. There was definitely tension. I think it's you know, fair to assess there was tension between Sean and Brian at some point this season, you know, as the Bills offense was struggling and, you know, they were looking for answers. And there was at one point where Sean McDermott basically came out and said, I don't know if this is, is fixable, you know, because, you know, they, they, they weren't being able to run the ball. He said, you established that in training camp. And, you know, a lot of the, the blame, you know, kind of felt like it was, falling on Brian Dable. So to read in the suit that there was some frustration or tension between McDermott and and Dable, it makes perfect sense. I don't think that that's necessarily, um, you know, breaking news. I think it's going a little bit too far when talking about that, saying that, you know, Brian Dable needed to get out of Buffalo and like he wanted to go to a new spot only because of like not knowing anything behind the scenes between the two of them, hearing Brian Dable talk about Sean McDermott and all the things that he learned from him in the four years in Buffalo, you know, and and listen, maybe he could just be being respectful of his former boss, but it doesn't seem it it seems like maybe that was a little bit overblown. And I'll tell you, if you're this McDonald character, I don't know how trustworthy he is at this point, knowing what we know about him. <laughs> Yeah, I think that what you said is totally true. I think given the growing pains that the offense had this season, it would be understandable that there would be even just a little bit of disconnect between McDermott and because between Dable. I mean, both clearly very passionate about what they do. They want to have success. And at times it felt like maybe there was a little bit of a different vision for what the offense should be. And you have two people who, you know, are trying to do what's right, pulling themselves in opposite directions. So I think that maybe, sure, there was probably some disagreements. There was maybe a little bit of disconnect. But that being said, I also don't think there's any chance in hell that Brian Dable was leaving the Buffalo Bills for any job that wasn't a head coaching job. And I think the relationship with Josh Allen is the most important thing. Like, sure, there could be some rift between you and the head coach, whatever. Mm -hmm. The guy you work the most closely with is Josh Allen. And then the guy you work probably the second most closely with would have been Ken Dorsey, who a lot of rumors and reports were out there that you wanted to try and get him over to New York anyway. So it seems like those two are on the same page. And obviously he and Josh Allen were on the same page. So I don't even think that that was in the realm of possibility. So even if there was some disconnect, even if it wasn't, you know, the happiest of times all the time between OC and head coach, I don't think Dable's leaving for anything that isn't a head coaching gig. 
I agree completely with that. And, and listen, at the end of the day, an employee got frustrated with his boss and, his, and a boss got frustrated with his employee. I think that happens to about uh, 90% of us at some point in our lives when it comes to that relationship. There's times where you don't see eye to eye, you butt heads. It happens, and especially it happens in the NFL where uh, every team is trying to win a Super Bowl and you hit some bumps in the road throughout the year. I think it's important, too, to remember that it was a really hard year for Brian Nabel. I mean, his grandparents, who both raised him, passed away during the season. You saw the toll that I think that that took on him. I mean, go and watch some of the early season training camp um, press conferences, then go watch some of them in December. You know, even when they were winning, like the the, the one after the Patriots game, when Josh Allen just went scorched earth uh, on Bill Belichick. And, and, and it was a very reserved you know, stoic in, in some ways, Brian Dable still. So, you know, he was dealing with a lot of that stuff. And then there's this other dynamic, you know, when he was interviewing with for head coaching jobs last year, you know, you start to put yourself in the mindset of, okay, I'm ready for my shot. I've been in this for 20 plus years. Like he's mentioned, I'm ready to be a head coach. And when you start to put yourself there mentally you, and, and the fact that you run the offense for the bills, you know, you have, since you've been here, that dynamic, that back and forth between Sean, who's that CEO and a very like take charge leader and a guy that's trying to evolve into that and prepare himself for that. That could also be kind of like, you know, button heads at times just because it's just two personalities that, you know, you need to be you, there needs to be a lot more give than take when you're the coordinator in these relationships. And he was kind of on his way to becoming a head coach as we, as we seen and and how excited he was this week, watching him kind of in his introductory press conference. I don't think Brian would have been as strong of a candidate or as good of a coach. If he was just the yes man who said yes to everything that Sean had to come to mind, because you know, the best teams, the best workplaces, they have a blend of different ideas and you come together and you find common ground. So there has to be disagreements at times. And that's what ultimately leads to success. And I do think that maybe the Bills' struggles early on in the season were why they were able to figure it out and become so dynamic down the stretch. Like, who knows? Maybe if the offense was just playing great and they just kept on trying to do what they were doing, somebody would have figured them out at the wrong time. And then all of a sudden, you know, they wouldn't have been able to get up on that second half thing. So, yeah, I I think it's totally normal. And I think that even moving forward, like there's going to be disagreements between Ken Dorsey and Sean McDermott. That's just the way it is. And there's been disagreements over the years between Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier and really every coach on their staff. And like Ryan said, that's just kind of what happens. That's in every workplace. That's in every setting. That's not just in the NFL. But when it's as big and things are amplified, then, of course, this becomes a talking point. But I don't think that that's anything out of the ordinary, any of the stuff that was mentioned in the lawsuit, at least with Dable and McDermott's relationship. Yeah, I agree completely, and, and I think you you said it perfectly with the fact that this offense was actually clicking on all cylinders late in the regular season and in those two playoff games because they were butting heads, because they were trying to get the run game going, and then they finally figure out the offensive line. That helps with Devin Singletary. You, you make Singletary your lead back. You're not splitting carries two ways, three ways. A lot of things got figured out because of those those situations where they did probably butt heads yeah, you know, behind closed doors and, and the Bills offense was better for it at the end of the year. And in the end of the, all of this, it, no matter what happened with them down the stretch, I mean, they're going to probably both. And I don't want to speak for them, but you know, just knowing the su- success that this organization had while the two of them were in the spots that they were, they're going to look back on this time pretty fondly. I mean, they were able to kind of 
you know, resurrect an organization that's been in the dumps for decades. And, you know, Sean's going to get most of the credit for that. But, you know, the tree has started now and I, and Brian Dable will always be connected to McDermott in some way. Uh, but now that he's gone, Brian Dable is gone. And I think that there was some fear on Friday and over the weekend for what was going to happen as, you know, Bill's fans were, you know, hearing all the reports that they, that maybe Ken Dorsey was going to get paid more to go to be the OC in New York, follow Brian Dable. Uh, obviously, Shea Tierney, who we found out is going to New York to be become their quarterbacks coach. He's connected to Dable as well. So you start to you know worry about losing all of this offensive firepower uh, in the brain trust, if you will. And it's concerning and not knowing what it was going to be. I think there was some angst. Uh, in the fan base, but then it gets delivered yesterday. The news, the big news that Ken Dorsey is going to be the OC in Buffalo, which always made the most sense. He doesn't have, he gets to continue on with Josh Allen. It, it makes the most sense. Then, the, you know, the question started to come up about quarterbacks coach, who was it going to be? And it was absolute, you know, uh, uh, smashing headline for Bill's mafia today. Joe Brady, the guy that absolutely lit it up for LSU in 2019, Flopped in the NFL, but you know there's a lot of reasons for that. We can get to that. But he's now the quarterback's coach. I think gets to take a step back, going from OC to quarterback, back in the kind of minutia of it, the details of it, where I think he could do a lot of good. What are our thoughts on the the new look combination of, of Dorsey and now uh, Brady for, the, for Josh Allen? Besides having Dable back for another year, this is about the best case scenario the Bills could have asked for. This is perfect mm-hmm. for them because I think Ken Dorsey, he knows the system. He knows the players that they have in place. He knows what Josh likes. He knows what Josh doesn't like. You just said it about Joe Brady. He's in the thick of it. He's got all the, you know, he doesn't have to deal with the play calling. He's just in the thick of all of that stuff. So I think he's the perfect person to kind of take on that expanded role. And then I think, it wasn't that long ago people were gushing over Joe Brady and just him as a young coaching candidate who a lot of people think is going to do great things in this league. I think he's still what he's like 32 years old, 33 years old, 32 years old. And it's funny because I don't think they intentionally did this, but it almost feels like they set up another contingency plan. If Dorsey has great success with Josh Allen and does the same thing that Brian Dable does because everybody looked at Joe Brady a couple years ago as this brilliant offensive mind. And now who knows if the bills are what they have been the last couple of years and Ken Dorsey all of a sudden gets a shot with the Houston Texans or the Miami Dolphins or those teams that are hiring coaches every couple of years down the road, then you can just take Joe Brady and then he can once again, get a shot at being an offensive coordinator. And I know things didn't work out in Carolina, but you know, you could have taken the best play callers and the best offensive coordinators. You could have stuck Sean Payton there and they probably wouldn't have had any success. So I, I think that this is a really, really good outcome for the Bills. Yeah, listen, first and foremost, Ken Dorsey, uh, whoever his agent is, did his did his job. You know, when there was all that uncertainty out there, I'm sure he was getting the, the best offer possible from Buffalo. But at the end of the day, do you really want to go and try to resurrect Daniel Jones in that offense? Or do you want to stay with a quarterback that you've been working with for a few years? You know all, all that he can do. You know a lot of the, the coaching staff, the players on this team. There's that comfort level there. That made a lot of sense. Joe Brady, I thought, was a, a home run addition to this roster. Offensive play calling. He has that experience. He can help Ken Dorsey in that area. He comes from the Sean Payton tree. Uh, very innovative young mind. The Offensive Coach of the Year Award when he was at LSU in 2019. He has a really good resume. And like Matt said, he was in Carolina. You know, what's the saying? You, you can't really polish a turd or something like that. He was, he was working... 
I, I'm sorry. Is that the same? Look at those quarterbacks. I don't know. It's something close to it. Sam Darnold. He is not a good quarterback. This is not the MVP Cam Newton. PJ freaking Walker started some games for him. The list goes on and on. He actually got one of the best years out of Teddy Bridgewater out of his career in 2020. That's saying something in itself. Teddy Bridgewater plays it safe. He always has. And he was able to get him through 36, 3,700 yards. Uh, he was able to get respectable numbers out of, out of him. And then he just didn't, he clashed with Matt Rule. Matt Rule is a run first approach type of guy with that mm-hmm. roster that he has. And that's not Brady. Brady likes to throw it. He likes to spread him out. Empty backfields. I think this is a great fit in Buffalo. I think four days ago, if we were talking about Joe Brady joining the staff, some people would assume we were talking about him joining the staff as the offensive coordinator and the Bills yeah. giving, you know, a young guy a shot with an all-star amazing quarterback. And for them to get not just Joe Brady, but to also get Dorsey is a home run. And the Joe Brady one to me is, you know, it's really, really high reward. And I think it's also low risk because Clearly, Ken Dorsey knows what it takes to be a quarterback's coach in this league, and he was the passing game coordinator as well. So even if there are some growing pains, like what better guy for him to learn that specific role under than under Ken Dorsey? So I think that given everything that's happened, this is about as good of an outcome as you could have had, aside from Brian Dable not getting a head coaching job and just coming back for another season. But that was unrealistic anyway. Like we knew he was going to get a job. Also, I almost wonder if, we're not at the stage now where Josh Allen can almost benefit from a new voice in the room and a new vision for the offense because he's developed now. Like no matter what you were going to have to deal with, you know, a new offensive coordinator, if it was somebody from outside the building, they're going to be getting this version of Josh Allen. That's completely different than the one that Brian Dable had to kind of mold four years ago. And I think, this offense has come so far and it's been so good over the last two seasons when it's been at its, at its best, it's been among the best in the NFL. And so, you know, to, to run that back and have that back, there's continuity, there's familiarity, a comfort level. But I think that this is, these are the kinds of moves that have the potential to kind of find any untapped potential in the offense and in the player. And so I like it a lot. The thing I like the most about Brady number one is the, the difference that he made for Joe Burrow uh, from the year before when he threw 16 touchdown passes to this to the year that he was the passing game coordinator and called some of the plays, the OC called most of the plays, but he had a you know some of the uh, red zone stuff and some of the spread stuff that they did. 60 touchdown passes that is just <laughs> unbelievable. Now they did have two of probably the best wide receivers in the NFL today, and Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase. But you know that familiarity with the position, the receiver position, the quarterback position, what works to kind of you know, bring it all together. I I think Brady is at a point where he's going to be, you know, super motivated to wash the bad taste of Carolina out of his mouth. He's got so many talented pieces for his quarterback in in Josh Allen here in Buffalo to work with. I think this is going to be a match made in heaven. You know what it is? It's the comparison. It's almost like Mitch Trubisky coming to the Bills last year to be the backup quarterback. It's like Joe Brady Mm -hmm. is probably too accomplished and too talented to be a quarterback's coach in this league, but he wants to go somewhere where he feels like he's set up to have success, which is in Buffalo with Josh Allen, and ultimately leverage it to get back to an offensive coordinator job down the road. And who knows? Maybe that could also be in Buffalo. So they're kind of benefiting from the fact that they have – well, they're not kind of. They're absolutely benefiting from the fact that they have Josh Allen as their quarterback and it's 
going to be something we talk about, not just now with the coaching search. It's going to be something we talk about come March and April when they're looking to fill out this roster. And there's going to be another guy out there like Emmanuel Sanders who's like, hey, I want to give this one more shot. I'm going to go play for the Bills. And that doesn't even just have to be on the offensive side of the ball. That could be on the defensive side of the ball. You know, you could have some really good free agent who's got a year or two left who's like, man, that team's got Josh Allen. They're close. Like, I want to play on that guy's team because I think they're going to get it done. So it's benefited them. And that's what makes just having that guy that much more important. Like you can see what he does on the field, but you also also see what he does and what he brings to an entire organization. Yeah, absolutely. And listen, you know, Greg Olson just recently was having second thoughts on not joining the Bills a few years ago. There's going to be players that have watched the Bills and saw them in the playoffs. You're right. And said and say, man, I want to kind of join this roster. They're on the cusp, maybe take a little team friendly deal. And then last thing on Joe Brady, it's just, you know, it's amazing how quickly things change in the NFL. Before he was hired as the offensive uh, coordinator in Carolina, he was taking head coaching interviews uh, based on his resume from LSU, and that didn't pan out. And now he's, you're right, he's accepting this quarterback's coach job because this is going to get him back on that fast track, whether it's offensive coordinator or maybe getting head coaching interviews again if things go as well as they possibly can. The Bills are going to play the greatest hits uh, that they had under Brian Dable. Some of those plays are going to stick around. But Brady's going to have a, a lot of new wrinkles to add to this offense, and I think that's exciting if you're a Bills fan. And obviously success is what's the most important thing, but it's also nice for this coaching staff to have kind of an injection of youth because he is 32 years old. I mean, look at, you know, we're at practice all the time, and you see how the wide receivers react to having Chad Hall there. Like, they basically just treat him like he's another one of the guys on the team, and I'm sure Joe Brady is going to be able to build that relationship up with Josh Allen whenever the other quarterbacks are there because he's basically the same age as them. And I think having that kind of refreshed outlook on just the game of football and just how you interact with each other is going to go a long way. The first question I'm going to have for Joe Brady and the first chance I get to sit down with him is going to be like, what was it like as a 30-year-old offensive coordinator? Because to <laughs> me, I feel like, you know, and and he's a young-looking guy. Like, mm-hmm. at 30, he looked like he was 20. And so, I mean, he's 32 now. He looks like he's 20. I wonder, like, how difficult that makes your message. And going from, you know – I did that story with Davis Webb last year, right? Where he kind of took me inside all the details of that goes into, you know, um, building the offense, all the, all the coaches that are necessary, the meetings, the, the long hours. And, you know, that's where Joe Brady was so successful at LSU and, and with the new Orleans saints. And before that at William and Mary and Penn state is in all those detailed meetings, getting the, you know, the jump on, on studying future opponents, like, you know, what, what I think Tierney did such a good job of with Buffalo last year. And when you have to go from that, where you're the guy providing all of that research and intel to the guy that has to deliver the message at 30 years old, I don't know. I, I think I, I think this might be the perfect step back for him to kind of get back into the details of it all and get away from, like, I think he's got plenty of time in his career to be the the, the voice in the room, if you will. I'm curious to know your guys' opinion on this because I was having this conversation with somebody at work earlier today, and we haven't mentioned his name yet. But how big of a loss is Bobby Johnson, do you guys think, for this team? What do you guys think? I I like Bobby Johnson, but it also took the Bills 17 weeks to Mm -hmm. to find the right configuration of this offensive line. I don't think that it's been a – 
strong unit overall at any point during his tenure. They kept going back to Cody Ford for some rhyme or reason. Um, I, I didn't think that it was a significant loss. Now, mind you, we don't know who's going to replace him. We don't know who's going to come in, if it's going to be better or worse. Uh, I just think that he was kind of there. He's kind of an, I thought, average, an average offensive line coach, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think if you get the right guy, they can, he can coach up this unit and take them to another level. I think that the thing that they want to make sure they land on with the next offense or offensive line coach, which I think Bobby brought to the table, was he was very player-friendly. Players loved playing for him. He got the best out of a lot of different guys. He did a good job at like finding, helping um, Brandon find talent. And that's one of the cool things about Brady too, is that I think because of all of his, you know, know-how around the league, you know, he was with Peyton in New Orleans. He was at LSU. Then he was at Carolina last year. He's going to be able to kind of maybe uh, find some re- like receivers, whether it be in free agency or the draft, that'll work well with Josh Allen. But the thing about Bobby Johnson that's interesting, and to Ryan's point, and this isn't something that I ever got actually nailed down, but I've always heard rumblings with multiple different people that him and Wyatt Teller just didn't click. And if you go go back and look at one of the biggest, you know, blunders for this team over the last three years, it was trading Wyatt Teller away, who turned into an All Pro in Cleveland, and so that to me, it was always something that was like, hmm, I, I've liked every interaction I've had with Bobby Johnson. I've liked every single thing I've ever heard a player talk to me about Bobby Johnson. But that's one thing that I've always heard grumblings of that I I, I, I am a concern. Yeah, funny, actually, that you mentioned Wyatt Teller. On my way back from Kansas City after the loss in the divisional round, I was walking through the – what airport was I in? I don't know. I was making a connection, I think, in, like, Chicago, and Wyatt Teller was standing next to me. And I was like, why is Wyatt Teller at the oh airport gosh. right now? He had his Cleveland Browns gear. I, like, I looked at him, and I was like, I'm pretty sure that's Wyatt Teller. And then I saw his backpack, and it had Cleveland Browns and Teller on it. So I was like, that's super random. Um, but that's that's besides the point. But I, I kind of tend to agree with both of you. I think it's – a loss that, you know, they obviously need to address. I also think, I don't think he was leaving anyway, but remember like in the middle of the season when there was a couple of people like, oh, maybe they're going to move on from Mitch Morris. It would save them a bunch of money. Who knows how much gas he has left in the tank. Now I think no matter what, like I think I probably would have said this anyway, but Mitch Morris has to be back there because he's like having basically a coach on the offensive line anyway. And I'm curious to know what they do now because I do think that it's a no-brainer. Obviously Dawkins was playing at an all-pro level at the end of the year. I think no matter what, you have Morris come back. And I think no matter what, you have Spencer Brown come back. And then as for the guards, I don't really know what they're going to do, but I do think that they just have to make sure they get a coach in there who can get the most out of his guys because it shouldn't have taken this long to figure out that Ryan Bates was probably the best option on the interior. At least it looked like that at the end of the season. Yeah, it it was an impressive sample size that we saw out of him. And and man, I have discussed this before. Maybe it was the fact that the Bills just knew he was the the jack of all trades and he could he could slide into any spot if there was an injury. But that's not a good enough reason. <laughs> I got it. I got to be your best five off, off the starting unit. Go ahead, Matt. I got a new hot take on Bates. I think why they held off so long on putting him in the lineup is because once they did, they knew how well he was going to play. And this is just a hot take. This is no intel. And the more he played and the better he played, the costlier it was going to be. He's a restricted free agent. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when they, if he were to start, you know, 14, 13, 12, 13 games at the level of play that he did end up giving them, 
that's going to be costly when it comes to this time of year. I mean, you know, Levi Wallace and Ike Bucker, they were able to get them back at a, at a reasonable number. And I think that they'd probably still get Bates back at a reasonable number too. But I don't know. I just think that that might've gone into it and, or maybe they just didn't think it was that much of an upgrade to risk his versatility, which we've talked about as well. But I, I always wondered that because it almost seemed like hearing it from the fan base, hearing it from members of the media, like what was, why did it take so long to see some Ryan Bates? That's what they need. They just need somebody who's going to get the most out of the group that they have, because we just mentioned three guys who are all supremely talented, who we all definitely think are going to come back. That's a really good starting point, figuring out those two guard positions. That's what this guy that's coming in needs to do. And I do feel like there's some attractive options out there and, you know, the, the lucky thing for the Bills is that even sometimes when the offensive line struggles, you have the ultimate eraser in Josh Allen, and he needs to be protected, but he can also make things happen when chaos happens. Yeah, that, that's perfectly said. And like you said, you know, Mike Mun- Munchak is out there. There's yeah. there's some other intriguing names out there. Uh, him, you know, he'd be the front runner. But the whole thing about him going to Denver is be closer to family. So maybe he doesn't want to relocate to Buffalo. Maybe he calls it a career after this. Who knows? Um, but the, the Bills, I'm sure, are taking their time. They're looking at, they're weighing their options. And they're going to find some that they think can come in and teach these, a lot of these guys, very young players, uh, about developing in this sport and in the NFL in general. For sure. Just don't bring back Juan Castilla. I don't, I don't think that'll be a good <laughs> idea. You know, it wouldn't be crazy to see them kind of get David Cully back in the mix somehow, who, by the way, I, I got to admit, I gave Cully some some uh, some stuff on this podcast. I, I was not impressed with his tenure in Buffalo. He crushed it this year. No reason in the world he should have been fired in Houston. I thought he did a great job, similar to Rich uh, Bisaccia uh, in, in Las Vegas. I mean, the jobs that those two guys did in the circumstances that they were handed, what are we doing in the NFL? I mean, I get it, wanting your own guy, but I guarantee – I'll put it on right now. Whoever Houston hires – with the whole pending Deshaun Watson thing, it's going to be a disaster. And nobody that's left New England has gone on to be some great uh, coach or um, organizational GM. Like, I, I don't know. I get it. Nick Casario, everybody's super excited about him, but I don't know. I'm not buying it. I thought, I thought uh, Dave Colley deserved another year. Yeah. That's a good point. That's another name that obviously he's got the connection to Western New York. He's got the connection to Sean McDermott and his coaching staff. So they've shown that, you know, if there's if you're somebody that they trust that you can be given an opportunity. So maybe that does happen. Yeah. And kind of go full circle. We were talking about Leslie Frazier earlier. Maybe it was a blessing in disguise that he didn't get that job. He was a finalist there, too. If their whole game plan was to just fire that coach after one year, uh, just kind of have a, a seat, you know, someone to kind of fill in that spot. Shame on them if that was the goal. But it certainly seemed that way because I thought Cully did a good job with that talent. Uh, I thought that Davis Mills actually was was one of the best quarterbacks down the stretch of that rookie class, and, and that was something to kind of build off of going into 2022. We've kept uh, Matt Beauvais for longer than I said. I'm sorry, my friend. Hey, you don't, um, you don't, I mean, look, I'm at work. You're, you're not keeping me from <laughs> like I'd, I'd like talking to you guys. Well, we appreciate you coming on, man. Let everybody know what uh, what, what what you got coming, what you what, what to expect from you in the off season, uh, and, and where they can find your stuff. No, I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, Monday through Friday, 
here at Channel 7. You know, we've got all of our newscasts throughout the day. And then we've got the podcast, The Buffalo Beat, WKBW.com. We've got a bunch of content that you can find there, too. So it's really it's funny. You know, we're all talking about the offseason. There really is no offseason. Just the games right. end. And now we're talking about co- we're talking about offensive line coaches. I guess that's probably a good <laughs> sign with how talented the Bills team is that like that can be actually a talking point. But yeah, no, it's I appreciate you guys having me on. And I thought I was going to be able to catch up on some sleep after the regular season and then the two playoff games that ended. I have not caught up on sleep yet. So I'm waiting to try and do that at some point. Same. I got uh, I got a couple days off, but um, class started on Monday. So they're just true. There is no off season. We just get ourselves in all these little predicaments and, but it's great. It's, it's fun. Exactly, it's, uh, exactly. it's football. We cover a game for a living. Yeah, all right. Matt Beauvais at Matt underscore Beauvais on Twitter is where you find them. Thank you so much, my friend. Have a great night. Gentlemen, enjoy the rest of your week and thank you for having me. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. From hot-to-go pizza and appetizers, signature fried chicken, baby back ribs and subs, to delicious salads and brownie trays, Tops has everything you need to feed the hungriest fan. Where are we going to next, Ryan? I think I think you're about to put out a pretty cool story. Um, why don't you read uh, the quote from Brandon or from Brandon Breen, from uh, Joe Shane from his introductory press conference uh, as the new Giants GM? Yeah, absolutely. So Joe, Joe Shane has this press conference with the Giants, and I had already written a story about saying he knew the Bills board one to four, but when he was talking about the offseason, free agency, and the draft, he dropped dropped another little interesting nugget uh, in there, and he said. Fortunately, I was able to get on the road quite a bit this year in Buffalo. I had already seen rounds one through four on the board, so I'm at a good spot on the college draft. I was working towards free agency. We were going to have some money over there. And that's where he kind of then shifted back over to talking about the Giants. But we were going to have some money over there, Matt. You know, most projections right now have the bills at about $7 million, which it's not what I would call some money. I mean, it's money, but that's not free agency money, right, Matt? No, but what I think he probably was referring to is if you really go through the Bills roster and add up all the dollars, I mean, I did it. I sent I sent a little yeah. uh, uh, copy and paste to you. I found about $42 million that the Bills could clear. And listen, they're not cutting all these players. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we're talking about $7.5 million for Mitch Moore, $7 million for Jordan Poyer. They're not cutting an all-pro. They're not cutting Micah Hyde, who you could save five million with, but other guys like Daryl Williams at six million, Star Latule, who's going to end up being at about a million and a half. So I don't think that makes a ton of sense. You'd have to eat over seven million in dead cap. So I think that's out. Maybe they look to restructure Star. We'll see. Uh, six million, Cole Beasley, five million, AJ Klein, three and a half million for John Feliciano. A lot of money that they can kind of add to the to the thing here and. With the way that they draft, with the way that they develop, and the, and the young guys that they have returning, I, I think you need to go grab a couple marquee guys now at certain spots, spend the money there, structure the contracts, even if you push some of it down the road. Because, Ryan, the salary cap, and I'm hoping to have Mike Gennetti on from Track, who could, uh, in the next couple of weeks, he could shed some more light on this. But the salary cap is expected to go booming in the next couple of years. The money from the TV deal comes in. Uh, the, they get back, uh, you know, out, out of the, the danger zone that they found during COVID. 
if you want to kick a couple cans down the road, I know Brandon Bean doesn't like to make that a habit, but I think this is the kind of year where we've seen what teams around the league, you know, the Cincinnati goes out and signs Trey Hendrickson to a massive deal, four years, 60 plus million dollars. And he comes up and he performs in the biggest game of the season at a position where you've got to perform this time of year. And so I think they need to find an impact player in the defensive line. It's going to cost you money. So they're going to have to make some room. Yeah, listen, one of my favorite shows of all time, Ed, is Arrested Development. And and the main character, George Bluth Sr. said, there's always money in the banana stand. And there's always money in in the NFL. You can kick the can, you can restructure, you can do a lot with money. We, we I mean, we... It felt like the Saints have been doing this for like a decade and a half now mm-hmm. uh, where they've restructured and they and they somehow have stayed afloat doing it. The Bills can find a way to do this for a year or two. And then, like you said, when when the salary cap goes up in a, in a high manner here in the near future, they're going to be fine. You're, they need that impact player. Look at one of these teams in the Super Bowl. You mentioned the Bengals. I'll mention the Rams. The Rams feel like they go in all in every season they make some move or two moves or three moves a few years ago you know they, they made the move for Jalen Ramsey uh they've gone this season they trade for Matt Stafford in the offseason they add Odell Beckham Jr. to this roster trade deadline they're competing with Buffalo for Von Miller they are going all in because they know that Super Bowl windows don't come around or Super Bowl opportunities don't come around all the time and yes they have an older quarterback and Matt Stafford who has some injury history so Going all in with him at QB, it makes sense. I know the Bills are still young at that position. I know that they still have a lot of talent across the board, but be aggressive. Go all in. If you bring one Super Bowl to Buffalo, you're never paying for another meal or drink in your lifetime again. Go all in if you're Brandon Bean and company. This upcoming year is the year to do it. Spend in free agency. Make some trades. The Saints team that I just uh, mentioned, they don't have the, you know, the head coaching situations up in the air right now. They don't have a quarterback. In my opinion, I don't believe in in Taysom Hill and company there. Maybe see if a, a Cameron Jordan can come off the books in a trade there. I know that he's up there in age, but 12 and a half sacks this season. You want a veteran in the room that can still produce and then help develop those younger players like Greg Rousseau uh, and obviously AJ Epineza, Boogie Basham, and the list goes on and on. And unfortunately, I'm sure Jerry, uh, Jerry Hughes and Mario Edison did a lot to help them develop the production this year wasn't necessarily there for the money they were making. So maybe it's just time to look elsewhere to find that impact player. Maybe it's not even the trade. Like you said, they can create some money, free up some money and go after a young pass rusher as well. That might be hitting free agency. You know, something interesting about these two teams and I'm looking at their 2022 salary cap and I should probably bring up their 2021 cap, but I think either way it works. You you're not going to find a coverage linebacker in the top 10 or 13 players on their salary cap. And I think you can kind of discuss the strategy of putting so many dollars and resources into that, that position for the bills and maybe missing on what I think might've been more important. Like, you know, Sean talks so much about like being so good at the point of attack, right? Be the, you know, at the, at the head of the spear, you know, that's where you win football games, but it, they haven't really operated that way. I mean, the first big time move that Brandon B made in the draft. Yeah. He got the quarterback, but he drafted Tremaine Edmonds to be a middle linebacker. And I don't know. He's going to cost 12 million next year. And Matt Milano's going to cost 11. That is crazy money, Ryan, for two linebackers who are coming off of a game where they just gave up 550 yards of offense and 42 points to the Kansas city chiefs 
who a Bengals team that went out and, and put an emphasis on the defensive line, went out and got a pass rusher, paid the premium for that. They went out and they figured out a plan and they shut Patrick Mahomes and, and the Chiefs down in the second half. Yeah. What, what the perfect model is. There probably isn't a perfect one-size-fits-all answer, but I do think that there should be some concern that maybe the Bills, the, the way they dreamed this up, the way that they've had this vision, there's definitely faults to, to, to poke at what they've done. Yeah, listen, and, and I'm not trying to knock Edmonds. He's had his bright spots. He's had his moments. Is he worth that amount of money? It, it, there's a case to be made that he's not. Yeah, obviously, I know where the Bills were going when they drafted him. They wanted their own Luke Keekley. Uh, they wanted that impact player in the middle of the defense. He hasn't been that on a consistent basis. They've already paid Matt Milano. Uh, it might be time to, you know, if they do decide to let him go to either to draft another guy that I think could fill in in that spot or could come in and be an in- instant impact player at a veteran for the short term, whatever the case may be, because they, they do have some some things to figure out here. And, and it's not going to be easy. I like Edmonds. I like what he brings that he's brought to the table at times. But you have to allocate that cap space wisely. You've already paid big money to a cornerback, to a quarterback. Uh, you're going to have to pay big money here soon to Stefan Diggs. You've already paid Deion Dawkins. There's only so much money to go around in terms of those big contracts. So maybe Edmonds isn't going to be the, the next one to get one of those paydays. I'm looking at the Rams 2021 cap, Ryan, and they don't have a person, a linebacker over two and a half million dollars on their cap. Uh, I'm looking at their depth chart. Now they play a little bit of a, obviously a different defense. They, they, they use uh, outside linebackers as edge rushers. I mean, Leonard Floyd's making a lot of money, but he's not a, he's not a Tremaine Edmonds or a Matt Milano. He's a guy that they, they have there to, to rush the passer. And so, you know, you look at some of these other linebackers. I mean, I can't even pronounce a couple of these guys' names. I mean, Christian <laughs> Rosenboom, uh, Traven Howard, Troy Reader, uh, probably good players. Um, they got Terrell Lewis. I don't know. It, it, it's definitely something we can kind of get into over the course of the offseason. But I'll, I'm very interested to see if the Bills don't take a, don't pivot in, in in some way with how they're spending money, and if that is an impact, if if the success of some of these other teams and where they're allocating resources doesn't impact, you know, how they do things, not only in free agency, philosophically, Ryan, like one of the things when, you know, you mentioned Brian Flores as a potential defensive uh, coordinator candidate, you know, two big names that are out there right now, Vic Fangio and Wink Martindale. Those are guys that they have different philosophies than Sean McDermott. And, you know, most of the time when you bring those guys names up, you think, well, I don't think that that's going to mesh with what Sean McDermott wants to do. But the more you think about it, the more you wonder. And listen, Leslie Frazier's you know on the staff. I don't anticipate them firing him. But if they were to go in a different direction, if Leslie Frazier were to have gotten a job, you start to wonder. Well, Sean McDermott's the CEO of this thing. He called it Leslie Frazier's defense. So you go out and get the defense that's going to work the best, even if it flies in the face of maybe what your specialty is. You're the head coach now. You're the CEO. you got to make the best decision for the team. And it's going to be really interesting to see the decisions they make, where they put their finances. And I'm not sitting here saying that Matt Milano was a bad contract. The guy's been a a vital part uh, at times, an all-pro caliber player in your defense. He had a not a great game. You know, a lot of players on that defense didn't have a great game. And who knows what it, what it would have looked like with Travis White back there. Yeah, a lot of things to think about this offseason. 
Yeah, and just real quick on, on the Fangio point and the Wink Martindale, a good coordinator is a good coordinator. Uh, they can come in, they they can work with the personnel that's there while molding their defenses. But like you said, Leslie Frazier is not going to be going anywhere. Um, I, I think the teams that interviewed him for the head coaching positions both have been filled. Obviously, the Giants had two interviews with him, and that was filled by Brian Dable. He was interviewed by Chicago. That has been filled. Uh, I'm not sure if he had been interviewed anywhere else this year. So it, it's not looking likely that he's going to get a head coaching opportunity elsewhere. But you're right. At some point in time, if he does get a head coaching job, if he retires, if he if he's let go down the road at some point in time, Sean McDermott doesn't shouldn't be sitting there saying, "Well, what am I comfortable doing?" It's who's out there that can really bring this defense to that next level or take them and and make them into a Super Bowl contender on that side of the ball. Uh, I, I still have full confidence in Leslie Frazier. He was able to get a lot out of that defense even after Trey White went down with a season-ending injury. Uh, it's just unfortunate how it obviously ended in the playoffs, giving up so many yards to the Kansas City Chiefs. But they're not the first team to, to give up a lot of yardage to KC, and they won't be the last. We have guests lined up, Ryan, for at least the next four shows, and I'm hoping to get Janetti in there somewhere as well. Uh, we got to get the salary cap guru in here uh, uh, before too long as we look ahead to a very important offseason. I'm not going to spoil the guest quite yet. It's a, it's a, it, it was, it is a person that played for the Bills this past season coming up next week. So we're excited about that. We'll also have uh, Nick Veronica in two weeks, uh, formerly of the Buffalo, Buffalo News. Uh, now at uh, Channel 4 in Buffalo. He is a, a web uh, director, web producer there, uh, doing great work. I want to talk to him about his journey a little bit. He does some Bills stuff on the side, cover the Bills for the Buffalo News back in the day. So we'll uh, we'll get after, uh, we'll, we'll get catch up with him where he's at. And then we'll have uh, hopefully some other folks we got lined up. I got to get Jeremiah Searles on. Uh, I, I might get him on uh, the, the week of the Combine. I want to do one last thing before we get out of here. The one question that I had, sorry, I was reading a, a text message from my <laughs> wife. She, um, by the way, uh, we got your flowers. Uh, my wife's uh, grandmother passed away this past weekend. Um, and Ryan and Joelle sent, uh, some flowers and we got them tonight. So thank you to you guys. They were beautiful. Um, I wanted to say one person that you think the bills have to bring back this, this off season and one person that you think they have to not pursue and not bring back. And before you give me your answer, I want to, I, I did bring up spottrack.com and got some market values on three Ooh. bills, free agents that I think are going to be uh interesting food for thought for bills fans over the next week, because I think next week we're going to dive a little bit more into potential free agents. The, the, the bigger, longer list, Jerry Hughes, Ryan, let's play guess the line here or guess the value. Jerry Hughes, what would you think his average annual salary uh, is predicted to be? I feel like I'm going to lowball this guy. I'm going to say eight million on average, three and a half million dollars. Oh, Spot Track! I, I went through the roof for him. Then Spot Track is projecting a two-year, seven, uh, just just below eight million dollar contract for Jerry Hughes. Who, by the way, if that is the parameters, sign me up. Sign me up yeah, right now for a veteran guy that. that can be a, a third down pass rusher, uh, somebody that's third, fourth in the rotation at a at, at an advanced age, and somebody that you know you can go from that direction. I'm not going to say he's my number one priority, but if he loves it in Buffalo, his family, you know, obviously we mentioned his wife is very close to Josh Allen's wife, and they 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 hang out a lot. You see them uh, posting a lot of stuff on social media. You know, this might be the place where he wants, or maybe he does want to go to a place like Houston, where you know he's from and finish his career close to home. Or who knows, maybe he wants to retire. We don't really know. There's probably a lot for him to consider, but at $3.5 million, whew, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think that's a great value. Who are the others, Matt? 
Levi Wallace, hit me with it. I, cornerback, yeah. young cornerbacks, a lot of tape on them. I'll go seven million on average. I'm, I'm going high, maybe. I don't know. I love this game. I, I hope we get some more market values next week because I want to play this game next week. <laughs> $9.6 million for Levi Wallace. I'm out at that price point. Now, it was good knowing you, Levi. Right. But, but remember <laughs> last year, Matt Milano was upwards of 14 million. Yeah, he 13, landed 14. 13, 13, 14 million. He landed at about 11, a little bit less than that, uh, especially in the first year. So if he comes in at something like 6 million in his first se- season of a multi year deal, I could probably stomach that. But, you know, it's, that's going to be something that they'll probably toil with for months here leading up to that decision. Yeah. And they're going to have to really take stock in what's out there on the market, how that fits into what they want to do. You know, Sean McDermott has a very specific, you know, they've had chances to go out and get cornerbacks. They've continually not done that. They love Levi Wallace. They love his story, what he brings. That's a lot of scratch for Levi Wallace. All right. Harrison Phillips. These are the Six. three that I did. Mm, actually, no, five. 5.4 million. So you were basically okay. right on the money hard. there. Like where you were, you were between five and six million. That was perfect. And I think you got to get in on that. I mean, the, what, what he yeah. played at this year, if you can get him to a two year deal, um, if you got to give him three, I'm fine with that too. I think he, you want him a part of your program, but how that ends up coming in, if you can get him at maybe four for next season, I feel like that's a bargain. He's, he's a starter level player for you. Uh, and that's great. The number one priority for me, Ryan Talbot, and I don't think – I don't even know where I'm at in my confidence meter that he'll be back. It's probably somewhere at about 65%. But to me, it's Isaiah McKenzie. And that makes a lot of sense. He does so much for this offense. Uh, I know that he was in the doghouse for kick returning, punt returning uh, at some point this season. But we've seen in limited tape on him on, on offense, we've seen what he can do at the slot position. You mentioned the, the amount of money you could save if they do part ways with Cole Beasley. He would be given a starting job here. He could go to be on an offense where I think that Ken Dorsey and Joe Brady are going to be, I, I don't want to say pass heavy, but they're not going to shy away from passing the ball, just like this offense hasn't been shy about it the last few years. So I, I think there's an opportunity for him here. Now, you know, 65, like you said, percent confidence. <laughs> I, I'm lower than that. I really do think that despite there being some wide receiver weapons at the Giants, I could just see him landing there with Brian Dable, that close relationship that they have fresh start for him, a chance for him to uh, help with that rebuild there and, and get paid a little bit more than what he's been offered the last few seasons. So that makes a lot of sense. If you if I, you are allowed to include restricted free agents, I think I'm going to go Ryan Bates just because mm-hmm. of that limited tape on him, what he showed at that position. He's still very young. Um, I, I think you're still scratching the surface on what he can do. And, and man, you, you look back on that and what a savvy move that was to trade for him in the offseason on uh, Eli Harold, uh, right? Am I thinking the right yep, name? You're there? right. You're yep. correct. You're correct. Uh, was yep. traded over to the Eagles and, and they ended up getting this guy that can play all five spots. And then you saw what he could do as a starter. So uh, that's the guy that I would be considering bringing back. I think you can make a, a serious case though for Harrison Phillips, who you already mentioned. For me, it's McKenzie just from the standpoint, I mean, a lot of what you were talking about, but I just think that like you want to keep those glue guys in the building. When the times get tough and the weeks get long and you're grinded toward the playoffs, guys like McKenzie are just so important. Like the, 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 the level of 
you know, levity, even in the moments when he was struggling and he detailed it a bit in, in uh, Tyler Dunn's podcast. And I highly yeah. recommend you guys should go listen to Isaiah McKenzie did like a six or seven episode series with Ty Dunn uh, live. Uh, they did him at Mr's uh, in Hamburg. Uh, great listens. You could find him on uh, all the Spotify stuff. I, I listened to most of it. Uh, really good stuff. He even talked about the 13 seconds and some of that as well, which I thought was really interesting in this last episode, you know, but he, he went over getting benched in those episodes and talking about what, what that was like for him. But I remember seeing him out at practice, Ryan, and he's still like, there, there was a couple days where you could tell he was a bit dejected, but it didn't stop him from interacting with his teammates and keeping that level of energy. That's so important. Yeah, man. I, I, I really like what Isaiah McKenzie brings, the versatility, the matchup problems that he'll become in this offense with all this other talent. It's going to come down to cost though. Like, what are you going to do with Cole Beasley? If you're able to restructure that, or if you decide that you want to move on, how much left over, if you're going to go out and maybe get a pass rusher, a corner, maybe another receiver, maybe a running back, even who knows what they're going to do this offseason, right? Where they, you know, decide to go, you know, you have to decide, can, can you pay McKenzie? Who I think is earned. I would like to see his market value. Um, but I mean, he's probably going to get around 5 million. I would imagine five, 6 million. And, and just based on that Patriots and Dolphins game, th- those two games should earn that guy a multi-year contract at a, at a pretty sizable chunk of change. Yeah, listen, when you can have someone that can do so much for an offense, even pre-snap in terms of uh, helping quarterbacks know what defense the, another team is in or, or um, just little things like that, the attention that he gets when he moves from one side of the field to the other, uh, when he's moving into the backfield, pre, you know, right as the snap comes, you saw that on one of Devin Singletary's touchdowns. The defense followed single, uh, followed Isaiah McKenzie, I should say, and that allowed uh, Singletary to spring up for one of his long touchdown runs at the end of the season. So he does do a lot of little things, too, that factor in. If you can get him for that 4 or $5 million range, I would be all for bringing him back uh, because he does bring so much, not just on the field, but off the field as well. All right. Uh, who is the person that you are most hoping the Bills do not pursue and do not bring back of the free agents that are on there? This one easy one, Vernon Butler. He he brings Ooh. nothing to this defensive line. He's over uh, overpaid, even with the restructure. I know they need some bodies on the defensive line, all, all things considered, but he is not the answer. Drive him to the airport, get him a first-class ticket, get him out of here. He, he's not going to bring anything to this Bills roster. What about you? Uh, for me, it's uh, Mar- Mario Addison. Um, I'm just gonna. I, I think you make an argument for Butler as well, but you know, I think Addison's a guy that they had this just belief in and you know he had seven and a half sacks this year that's about what you signed him to be yeah. let's be honest at this age like he had nine nine or more sacks in four straight seasons a lip dipped pretty considerably his first year in buffalo but getting back to seven and a half he was what he was but there was just too much inconsistency as a tackler they need to find an impact guy they got three young guys that i feel like they did a disservice to them by bringing back both hughes and addison because you didn't see enough of aj Appanessa. like Listen, I know that there was value in trying to win this year, but I also think that you you potentially stunted AJ Epinesa's growth even more if there's growth to be had because we just didn't see him enough. There was way too many games where he was the fourth or fifth, you know, defensive end in terms of snap count. And, you know, so I just think that uh, Mario Addison, I don't think he'll be back, but he's a guy that, you know, I think you want to move in a different direction. A little bit of a note, interesting. I, I This wasn't on my mind until I was starting to really look at this. Saran Neal and Taiwan Jones, both of the gunners on special teams are free agents, unrestricted free agents this offseason. That'll be interesting to see. You know, they value those guys so much what they do there. And do they have guys ready and waiting to maybe take over? Because, 
you know, to me, Neil probably comes back because of the versatile uh, nature to his game as a defender as well. Uh, but Taiwan Jones, I mean, he's not getting any younger. Maybe you could see him maybe not being back. Yeah, I, I don't see Jones at his age coming back. I don't see him at least being a priority. Maybe if the uh, the money's right, veteran minimum, something like that. If he wants to come back, fine, by all means. Saran Neal is interesting to me because I think he's talented enough to play on some defenses in this league, and he hasn't necessarily had the opportunity in Buffalo. And, and listen, when you look at the secondary, the Bills ha- have fielded these last few years. It's hard to find him a, a regular spot or a spot where he can get a regular role. Uh, so I think that'll weigh into his decision as well. Time will tell, but he obviously enjoys Buffalo. He is a core special teams player someone to watch on those that list of free agents. Matthew Harmon in the uh, comments uh, says, you know, Bills fans got to understand the Bills don't have a lot of money to play with. I know, but we, we were just talking about, you know, there, there, there's money to be had if the Bills kind of make some moves. And even Joe Shane seemed like he was uh, kind of eyeing uh, some big money moves for the Bills, uh, if you read into his press conference a little bit. So it'll be definitely interesting to see over the course of the next two months as we move towards free agency, what kind of space Brandon Bean can kind of make. And we'll start to see that. I mean, in, 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 as early as five weeks from now, Ryan, we'll yeah. start to kind of see that because early March, you'll probably start to see the kind of moves that they're going to make to make some of that, that room that we saw last year when they started restructuring a lot of deals. No days off, man. We're going to get, we're going to hit, uh, we'll watch the Super Bowl. We'll, we'll, we'll have some senior bowl stuff next week. Maybe we can get, uh, maybe we'll bring on Chris Trapasso next week to recap the senior Ooh, bowl. That'll be fun like too. It. Uh, but we also have a Bills player that uh, spent uh, last most of last season on the Bills uh, practice squad. Uh, I won't give away uh, who just yet, but uh, it'd be fun to check in with him. Um, little hint. Uh, that's all I'm going to give you. Uh, before we get out of here, if you're hosting a large party this weekend, tonight, tomorrow, I don't know, it's 845. If you're on the West Coast, five, just getting out of work. And if you're on the West Coast, there are no tops there. So ignore what I just said. But if you're in Buffalo, if you're on the East Coast, and there's a tops in your area, check out their huge selection of party platters for a delicious, effortless, and affordable, no-stress way to impress. For complete details, stop by their carryout cafe or visit topsmarkets.com slash fantasyfoodball. Real quick, last thing I did see in the comments, enough of the Carolina connection. I think I have some bad news for uh, that specific fan. Now that Joe Shane is in New York, I could see there being that connection going both ways with the Giants and the Bills. And one specific player I have in mind to keep an eye on is James Bradbury, a former Carolina Panther. I think with his deal, the way it is, I think that he's a target that the Bills could have maybe via trade. If he's let go there, restructure that contract, and that helps you with that cornerback situation. He's still a young guy, a guy that in some defenses can be a cornerback number one. So I know some fans are sick of the Carolina connection. I still think you're going to get a little bit of that, and you're going to get some Bills-Giants connections now as well. Pops Mafia is asking when my wife is going to be a guest on the show, and it's long overdue. But yeah, I got to get my my wife on. We got to think of some some topics to talk about. We just started uh, Ted Lasso, kind of kind of a slow start. I don't know. I wasn't. I'm not blown away in the early episodes. I'll be honest. Don't like the whole concept of football coach going to become a soccer coach, but I'm getting there. It's just weird. I don't know. It's weird to start off with. I, I I'm not like enthralled quite yet, but. If I'm being honest, not a huge Jason Sudeikis fan. I have to remove him from the chat after that. Come on, not a Jason Sudeikis fan. He is great. He was great in SNL, Last Man on Earth, and he is phenomenal in Ted Lasso. Phenomenal. You're back. 
Wow. You, you just did, you just did it to me. I did. I've it. been waiting for that for weeks. And honestly, I was just sitting back and enjoying the show because less of me is usually a good thing. So that was a great burn. Uh, I enjoyed it. But uh, to your point, listen, different flavors for different people. I don't know. Like he's just always kind of rubbed me the wrong way. His mustache really um, annoys me in the show. But listen, maybe it's going to grow on me. I really like, I will say, I really like the assistant coach and some of the players are really funny. And I think Sudeikis will grow on me too. Like, I, I just think I maybe I haven't found the show that I really like him in yet. Or the, I, I, I'm not saying that Ted Lasso is bad. I'm just saying I'm not there yet. Like, I, it's just okay. been kind of like one of those shows where it's just been a slow start. I haven't been like, oh man, I can't wait to watch the next episode. But we're, we're going to crush it. I just Lasso. finished the third season of uh, Stranger Things. So I'm finally, I'm caught up. Ooh, I'm caught God. up. Message Caitlin for that. That's one of her favorite shows. Yes, She's watched it all the way through. Like, I'm not going to lie, like probably like 10 times. It's kind of embarrassing. But what she does is people like some people have their things, right? She'll like get do get to doing stuff in the house and she'll just put the put the TV on and, and a show that she's already watched and fire through episodes. Like she's watched Cobra Kai and Stranger Things probably like 150 times. Ozark. <laughs> I like Ozark more than my wife. She's really kind of out on it, but I may actually go back and start it from the beginning on my own time. Now that we're in the off season, uh, PJ saying season four is nuts. I'm going to go back and watch Ozark and just kind of leave her on the outskirts. That's just the way that it's going to be. <laughs> there you go. All right. For Ryan Talbot, I am Matt Perino. I hope you enjoyed our, uh, our television talk to end the show tonight, man. There's going to be a lot more of these though. I will, I will give you the warning, come, you know, come here for a good time, but come here for a long time because we're going to probably have these once a week shows. We'll probably run more in that hour to an hour and 30 uh, minute. Um, and Ronald, shout out to you. Bill's fan since 1963 uh, said, I'm only a, a, a baby. I feel like that sometimes others. I don't like today when I ran three miles and my knee started clicking as I was walking around the house, my wife, I said we were going to get out of here, but my, my wife, <laughs> this is kind of cathartic a little bit. My wife entered me in, uh, they do a family steps challenge. Wow. Yeah, the phone keeps track of how many steps you have in a day. So uh, in a day, all day long today, she's texting me, sink your steps, sink your steps. And meanwhile, I hadn't run yet. So I did like, <laughs> I did like a hundred steps and everybody else had, had done at least 10,000 by the time I turned on my thing. So I, so I had to like run three miles and I still wasn't even close to the top step oh, getter. I'm like, what okay. kind of game is this? What kind of I thought you were really bad at math when you're like, I ran three miles and I had at least a hundred steps. I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I was really worried about your math skill. All right, guys. So thank you so much for watching shout a Buffalo football podcast. This has been such a great time. Oh, what were you man. saying? I'm sorry. Uh, you cut out. You, we oh, lost you. I, yeah, I see that. No, I just thought, like, man, he's really bad at math if he thinks that's 100 steps. But yeah, yeah. no, that would have been horrible. All right, we're going to get out of here now officially. Don't miss the show next week. Hopefully, we'll have multiple guests for the next two weeks worth of shows. We're going to get into the Senior Bowl next week. I'm excited to kind of uh, comb through all the content from down there. I already seen some highlight reels, uh, uh, highlight videos coming out of Mobile. Uh, we'll start to maybe talk uh, some draft stuff. We'll get more into uh, free agency and some some cap stuff. Uh, hopefully set up an interview with Janetti, like I mentioned. We had him on last year. He was awesome. Uh, and then we'll have a Bills player next week. Have a good one, everybody. See you then. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast. Hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.